0: And welcome to this edition of the Intersection Education Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Haley. My conversation today is with Andrew Milne. Andrew started his career in London, England, before emigrating to the United States of America in 2008. He currently teaches at New Trier High School in Illinois. Andrew was awarded the Shape America Teacher of the Year for Health Education in 2017. If you like what you're hearing connect with intersection education you can go to our website intersectioneducation.com or follow us on twitter at intersection ed we also appreciate it when you rate us on itunes and leave a review here's my conversation with andrew milne well welcome andrew how uh, how are you doing today
1: I'm good, thank you. you caught me in at school with a, we just had some meetings ready for the start of the new school year, so I'm ready to go.
0: Ah, it's an exciting time, isn't it? when everything's uh, new and you've got all the, all the expectations. I love the beginning of the year. I've
1: got the, I'm at that point where now I can't sleep. Now I'm starting <laughs> to get ideas in my head and the last couple of weeks I've ignored them, but now I'm just letting them seep in and letting them kind of run with it in my uh, in my deep sleep.
0: That's excellent. Well, speaking of teaching and the beginning of things, let's start at the beginning for you. Uh, how did how did you become a teacher? What were some of the early experiences that led you to the teaching profession? Uh, I wonder if my
1: journey uh, into becoming a physical education teacher initially is similar to many others, many of my peers in the PE and being active was where I saw my most success. I was a very average student at a very academic grammar school in London, England. Um, So I didn't see a great deal of success in the classroom, but I was always um, one of the best when it came to track and field. Um, I represented the school at track and field and basketball and soccer and cricket and all of that good stuff. Um, and then it came to the age of sixteen, and I seriously thought about dropping out of school uh, because you could at sixteen and uh, and going into the world of work and I distinctly remember a conversation with a friend of mine uh, who was one of my peers, and he said hey you 'll be in the world of work for the rest of your life why don 't you consider staying on in school and then you can play more sport right <laughs> So I stayed on and I had more success, and it came to that conversation again at eighteen. None of my family had been to college. Uh, my parents both left school at 14. Um, so I was the first one to consider going on to college. Uh, and again, I wanted to continue playing sport. Went off to uh, to a university in the Midlands in England. Um, graduated with a degree in sport and recreation and still had no idea what I wanted to do. But I loved working with kids. I loved coaching. And I loved that physical education setting. Um, so I went back to train to become a teacher. And it wasn't until I was in the classroom or in the gymnasium I really realized that that was my calling, and that was where I should be. So um, I say to my students now, when they say that they don't know what they want to do when they're older, I tell them it's okay. You know, it really—I didn't know I wanted to become a teacher until I was actually teaching at twenty-four.
0: That's wonderful. Now, speaking of how uh, that physical education and that health piece really shaped you and helped you become a teacher um i think congratulations are are in order you were awarded the shape health education teacher of the year in 2017 wow that's awesome (laughs) um so uh, do you teach health and physical education like how how do you balance that um those two things and and how does it really kind of influence your teaching so it's like you you came from the world of physical education but now you're kind of in it um, tell me about about those two different things.
1: So it's quite an interesting journey, as you can tell from my accent. I'm not from North America, and I, I bumped into a girl in a bar in London 12 <laughs> years ago. One thing led to another. I moved to America and I started all over again. I had 12 years under my belt, um, in a tracksuit. Uh, you know, in my heart of hearts, I'm still a PE teacher. I'm comfortable yeah. in sneakers and a tracksuit, um, but when it came to. Uh, Trying to get work in America, it was very difficult going through the immigration process. And then once I was here and married, you still can't teach in the States unless you have a green card. Um, so I spent a year working as a special ed aide, seeing all the good things that were going on in a local public school uh, pertaining to special education. And I think in North America, they do things a lot better regarding special ed students than they do back home in England. Um, and then my first real break was at a high school uh, called um, Carmel Catholic. Carmel Catholic were, didn't have a great salary to offer, um, being a Catholic school, um, but they were looking for an experienced teacher. I was an experienced teacher, and nobody wanted to touch me because they didn't know. I didn't have a GPA or a major or a minor, and I wasn't an alarm, and you know, I wasn't in the old boys' network. So <laughs> we were a perfect marriage. They said, hey, we're introducing health. Would you be prepared to write our health curriculum? And of course I said yes, I was desperate for a job. And so for three years, as the only health teacher in the building, I sat down and I wrote this health curriculum from scratch. And year one was just working on developing my curriculum and my content and my material. And after that week, year two, year three was me expanding the ways in which I teach and bringing in technology and blogging and uh, writing, uh, making podcasts and iMovies. So I really cut my teeth in the States for those three years. And so when it came to um, another health position coming up at my existing school, uh, I work at a school called Nutria High School in Illinois, an outstanding school. I'm in a health and PE department of 36 teachers. Wow, 4,000 kids over two campuses. Um, so when they were looking to recruit a health teacher, I had some American experience under my belt. I still feel very at home in a PE setting. And I still insist I have a phys ed class uh, in my daily schedule. And here in Illinois, we're lucky that we do still have daily PE uh, It's a graduation requirement. Cool. It is being phased out. Um, but I get to see my, my PE students every day of the year. Sometimes I see those kids more than I see my parents, uh, my family. Yeah. So so I am, I am able to teach health and physical education. And often I'm able to kind of bring the two together in my classes.
0: This relates, the next question kind of relates to you building that curriculum. And that's um, kind of two questions. First one is we, we know about literacy. We had uh, Dean Krillars on a couple of weeks ago talking about physical literacy. And now I, I know one of your things is health literacy Mm -hmm. so you've built a curriculum Um, first of all maybe define for those that are unsure what does it mean health literacy for you and if you're looking at building those building blocks of a health curriculum the most essential elements what would you say those are
1: I'm going to come to that second point first.
0: When I, You often see in
1: groups online, on Twitter and on Facebook, in the little health chats, hey, I'm writing a curriculum. What do I need? And really, you need to ask your community, ask your students. What my students need will be completely different from yours. Uh, we might not talk about opioid use because it's not necessarily big in my area. And we won't talk about smoking cigarettes because according to our youth risk behavior survey, our kids aren't smoking cigarettes. Maybe vaping and, you know, using e-cigarettes is on the So that's something that we weave in. Um, So at my school, we actually have our own youth risk behavior survey. We survey our students once every two years. Uh, We collate that information, send it off to Northern Illinois University. They crunch that data and we can track trends and we can see that we are getting better in certain areas. But there are some areas where we're feeling pain. So I will then target that. For example, um, our students are more likely to use alcohol than the national average. So we might have a deeper conversation about alcohol use. Uh, We also know that our school and with many schools, the experience of our marginalized students, our LGBTQ kids, our non-white students, isn't the same as our students who are in the majority. So, again, that allows us to tailor the curriculum that we have and then also allows us to choose where our limited pot of funds go in terms of providing support for those students. So I would say when it comes to putting a curriculum together, think about what your students need and what the local uh, community needs. Um, but the first part of that question was health literacy. So I jumped onto health literacy immediately when I came to the States. So I'm a big fan of this. And it's, it's taking everything that you know in health, but putting it into practice. So it's, it's the ability to gather information and understand it, analyze it, and then act upon that so that you can promote your own personal health. And then I'm not happy enough with that. I'm not happy with my students just becoming healthier. Their responsibility, and I tell them this, is to go home and then make your family a little bit healthier. So I'll help you become a healthier cohort of students. Go home and tell mom and dad and your siblings something that makes them healthier. And then that's not sufficient either because once you've done that, it's your job with your family to reach out into the community and help make your community a little bit healthier. And then look out and see where there are Discrepancies and inequity. And if you're seeing people within your community that aren't having the same experience as you, maybe they can't access the materials because they're only disseminated in the dominant language and they don't speak that language. It's your responsibility to then go out there and advocate. On behalf of, you know, your, of your community. So, we're, we're big on um, national health education skills. There really is this, this new drive now in health education here in North America um, to teach students the skills that they need to be healthy. Um, and it will allow students to kind of act upon their knowledge uh, and then use those skills when they've moved on to college when they moved on into adulthood, and it's part of that lifelong journey to try and always make a healthier choice. And I have a student many years ago said, um, in health, it's not about getting an A in class, it's about getting an A in life. <laughs> and I'll say to my students, you know, I don't mind, you know, you're going to get an A. If, if you if you jump through my hoops, if you pay attention and you do the work I ask of you, of course you're going to get an A. Um, but I want you to go on and live a healthier life and help others live that healthy life. So that's really my take on health literacy.
0: You know, and, and that ties to my next one again and it seems like it seems like every day you you log on to the media and we're just confronted with this, oh, you know, the students are obese and less active and they eat terribly and and it and it gets really overwhelming. So the idea is, I mean, where do you start? Like where where is it? Now you've already talked about really listening to your own personal community and I think that that is such a great um such a great uh, tip, You know, it's not about everything. It's about who your mm-hmm. student's at. Where are some of the areas? And you've mentioned a couple that you've started. Where are some of the things you said, okay, here's where we start. Here's step one. Or maybe even uh, pass that over to a teacher. If you're a teacher, mm-hmm. where do you start? I mean, like, you don't even know what to do. First of all, I'm going to put my hands up and say, health teachers and PE
1: teachers, we're not going to solve any health crisis that you have out there. And yet I know that, as you said, it's the latest thing. You know, students are on iPads too much. They should talk about that in health. Student uh, STIs are on the rise. They should be talking about that in health. And they should do. But there comes a point when we can't take everything on and we can't take extra content. So we can still go back to that skills. And you can advocate for STIs. And you can advocate for um, – Appropriate use of technology, etc. Um, I will quiz my students at the beginning of the year, and I say, "What does it mean to be healthy?" Um, and often they'll say, uh, "Eat right and look good." You know, maybe work out, and 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 a lot of that is that very kind of superficial um, on the surface. Do you look healthy? Uh, and then I'll start weaving into that and say well what about mental and emotional health and initially i would talk about the health triangle and we have to keep in balance our social and emotional and our um, and our and our uh, physical health and our mental health and then we kind of weave into that a little bit more and you can look at different dimensions of health and we start to add layers of intellectual health and environmental health occupational health and medical health and eventually, as students start having these conversations about what it means to be healthy and what it means to be the healthiest version of themselves, they can then start to see that all of these things are interwoven. And you really can't aspire to be uh, the healthiest individual if you can't get the nutrition right and if you can't get the activity levels right and if you're not sleeping enough and sleep in, not enough sleep. Perhaps leads to mental uh, issues and and possibly depression. And if you're depression, then your relationships suffer. And if your relationships suffer, then perhaps you need that crux of alcohol to kind of help you through the day. So it's that it's that whole concept that everything is woven together. And if you can get these kind of skills under your belt, they should allow you to at least at least. Approach each situation and make a healthier
0: decision. Yeah. Hey, you just mentioned a whole bunch of different dimensions, and if you were <laughs> no, and it's good. I think that this is wonderful. But if you're a, if you're a teacher, you're kind of feeling overwhelmed. Where are some places that they might be able to look for some of those dimensions? Because um, you were just kind of looking. Is there a good resource out mm-hmm. there? Is there a website or something like that that you feel they like, okay, can go here and it's got a good kind of overview? I would have a discussion
1: about your, with your school and your administration and your coworkers as well, and see how deep you want to go. I or have always felt comfortable with the health triangle. Google the health triangle, and it's super super simple. If you start to Google dimensions of wellness, you'll see uh, charts with seven, eight. 10 dimensions as well of wellness so i guess it depends on what age your students are and where do you think you know is it age appropriate the the health triangle really is super super simple um and and you can you in your mind you can keep this whole concept of having a triangle with equal sides and as soon as your mental emotional side suffers then maybe that triangle is off balance and then you can visualize that you're going to be in a world of pain
0: Awesome. Great resource, the health triangle. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now I know that you have, when you're talking about health, it goes beyond the classroom. Um, mm. It's not just about what you learn, it's going into the stuff. What are some things that you've done, or what are some strategies that you would say or give to a school about maybe recess time or other times to make that health programming and those lessons that you learned in health class? go beyond that. Is there any like institutional things we could do as a school to help that health promotion to st- make students uh, to help students make good choices?
1: Um, I always teach with the door open so I always encourage people to walk past even step inside and listen to what we're doing um, if I have an opportunity to teach I'm a big fan of kinesthetic delivering my, my materials in a kinesthetic manner I like my students up and moving around for many reasons and I, and I have blogged about that in the past but when I get my students out of a classroom I'll choose a point within the school building where there will be a lot of people walking past I'll intentionally yeah. choose a stairwell or a hallway that I know is busy perhaps even um, the administration will walk past. When it comes to, um, a school-wide focus, we have a wellness, uh, we have a wellness committee, and they'll sit down and they'll look at our um, our YRBS data, and they'll start targeting the school um, with various posters and, and conversations with students. We have a we have an initiative called the Tinkle Times. We put posters up in the urinals and the and the bathroom stalls, so students <laughs> while they're in there um, can read some facts and figures, and and in, and really that that's all about perceptions and myths, and the, the myth is that. A large number of my students are smoking marijuana. Mm. Uh, That's their perception. But the reality is our YRBS data isn't showing that. You know, every year, year upon year over the last 10 years, the the numbers are significantly lower uh, than the students think it is. So we talk a lot about um, perceptions versus reality. Um, You touched on recess, and I'm I'm in a high school setting, so recess isn't a thing. Um, But we we do encourage our students to be up and active in between uh, lessons. I mean, I would say don't take recess away. Uh, you had Shillar Piper on not too long ago. I'd encourage people to go back and listen to that outstanding episode. Um, you want to make sure that you're, you're, the recess is safe uh, and engage the school and the community as well, perhaps even gather some information and data and see what you see, you know, report what you see. You'll see that students will be engaged and you'll see incidences of bullying going down and you'll see students experimenting with play um, and everything becomes a little bit more inclusive and perhaps exclusionary uh, behavior dissipates. Um, I know we are now seeing an awareness that recess really is important and certain states are now driving towards making it mandatory and I would um, applaud anybody that's that's kind of arguing for increased recess certainly with our younger students
0: that's wonderful Um, I want to come back you've touched on some of those active learning kind of strategies you talked about getting your kids up and different stuff Um, what are what are some of those that that you've that you've used. Is it, um, you know, do you, do you find just like a movement break getting outside of the classroom? Do you think that that helps? Do you think that it kind of contributes to them kind of move in and, and learning anything like that?
1: Yeah, I'll say that my initial inspiration was The Kinesthetic Classroom by Mike Koshala. He also mm. tweets as a Kinesthetic Classroom. He's got a TED Talk out there as well. And he talks about the benefit of movement within a learning setting. Uh, and I, I read that book and, and I was totally inspired and that became my goal for the year. But I really wanted it to be a natural part of my teaching. I didn't want encouraging movement in the classroom to be as fake as, oh, we're 10 minutes in. It's brain boost time. I didn't want it to be that thing. Okay, kids, everybody's going to cross the midline on three. I wanted to just let my students know that movement in the classroom is acceptable and a beneficial way in which we can learn, um, not just because it's novel and um, and it and it somehow anchors the learning uh, to that movement as well. But also, students are up and they're breathing in, you know, more oxygen to the brain. And it's a more sociable setting. So, I'll, uh, my my number one go to, uh, if you're looking to encourage movement in the classroom, is the walk and talk. Mm-hmm. I love the the idea of identifying a small route, like a one and a half minute, two minute route close to your classroom, posing a question to your students and letting them pair up with individuals, and then. On that walk, have a conversation relating to that particular topic. So they're they're moving and they're talking. Are they all doing it? Probably not. But it, again, it's novel. Now, what that also gives me the opportunity to do is then reset the classroom environment. So I might have students going on their walk. When they come back, there's a packet at the desk, or I've changed the desk so they're facing in a different direction, or there's a video queued up on on the on the screen as well. Um, I know the flexible seating has become very popular as well, and and now seeing. Seeing flexible seating through the lens of a a health teacher, I go to Starbucks and I go to McDonald's and I see the way they change the lighting and the seating. And I think, wouldn't it be so nice to have a a classroom setting a bit like that? But I but I I, I'll often get students standing up. I mean, another really easy go to is um, I think in the old days I would set some group work and I'd say, hey, when you're finished, sit tight and, you know, and let me know. And I'll know that you've finished because you've sat tight. Well, how about when you've finished, everybody in your group stand up? Well now I know you 've completed that work i 'll come over there i 'll check your work Well now I have a group of four to five experts now, when the next group stands up, you guys can go over there and start helping them and and checking and grading their work and so on um, again i've blogged about it if you if you um, if you were to Google. Uh, slow chat health, kinesthetic, you'll see a couple of blog posts and I get super creative at times.
0: That's awesome. Uh now you mentioned that you use technology and uh sometimes it's kind of the kind of kind of the reason. Like it, it it's shown as the reason that we're in this unhealthy predicament. But um I kind of agree with you. I, I think it gets a bit of a bad rap. What are some of the ways that you're using technology to actually increase over health overall health for your students and get them out, get them more active?
1: if you're looking for a good read on um, teenagers and technology use check out irresistible by doctor by adam alter he also has an outstanding nine minute ted talk and it talks about why why we feel driven to using technology and how it's not really our fault because they're programmed in a way to constantly give us reinforcements and these positive you know tokens that make us want to go back and check my likes and my retweets and i too am guilty of that as well (laughs) um but i do fully we embrace technology in the classroom and also in the in the physical education setting and we're a one-to-one iPad school so we'll try and encourage my students to use use technology mindfully um, you know in, it, back in the past we would teach students how to work out and we would teach them what would go in a workout but nowadays a student is going to go and Google that or they're going to go and get the Nike app and they're going to have a, a tailor-made workout in front of them right now so we should embrace that use of technology Mindfulness, mindfulness apps are really popular with my students. The one that they really uh, push is one called Smiling Minds out of Australia, where you can um, tap in how you're feeling right now and it will give you a personalized um, guided meditation. Um, I'm not a great teacher of yoga. So for me in a physical education setting, students can go and get a yoga app, and they can then work their way through a workout, and I can then just kind of monitor that as well. So it, it supplements my teaching. Uh, workout apps are popular. Um, some of my students have played around with sleep monitoring apps and somehow monitoring how much sleep they're getting and using that data. And that, that's one of the state standards here in Illinois um, is how can you use data to promote your health? Um, I would say that technology, you said it can be a good thing. Technology is great in terms of providing a safe space for some students. Um, and, and again, I'm thinking of my LGBTQ students. They might not feel comfortable talking out in the open, but there are these great spaces online where students with, you know, with like-minded scenarios and situations can come together and, uh, and communicate in a safe setting. So as you said, if you use technology in a mindful way, Um, then I think it can be a good thing.
0: Yeah, you bet. Uh, Let's get a little bit away from my questions around health specifically and physical education and and come to maybe education more broadly, although I'm sure that we'll get back into the health and the physical education stuff. Mm -hmm. Is there something about education that you believe is true that most people or some people might disagree with you on?
1: Now, when you say most people, it's tough because I'm going to get that most people from those I surround myself with. And I get my voices from my peers. I work in a very, very good school, and we we actively recruit outstanding educators. So I'm kind of in an echo chamber. I hear people (laughs) saying what I say. And then I was on Twitter, and I surround myself with people on Twitter who look and sound like me. So again, I'm in an echo chamber. So about 18 months ago, I made that decision to start following people who didn't look like me and perhaps had different views for me. And, and, I, and I think Twitter has been a great opportunity for me to to grow. Um, so I'm now seeing a more balanced view and I'm more aware of views that people have out there that might be the opposite of mine. Um, I believe that teaching is an art, not a science. I. Um, I, I can just teach. I'm not very well planned. I, I don't have great packets. I feel like I can just pull it on the fly because I have this ability as an artist to react to what's in front of me and immediately tailor what I'm delivering. And I feel very comfortable considering myself an artist. Um, I, I, to be a bit more contentious, I think we give students far too much homework. Mm-hmm. And I work in a school where homework is one of the biggest stressors. And when it comes to sleep, the biggest excuse for students not being able to sleep is because they have a huge homework load. So I, ter- I certainly believe that. And then my final point, and I wish everybody believed this, and I know that they don't because administrators and people in positions of power aren't doing anything about it. The experience of black and brown students is not the same as it is for the majority and there are schools and there are students with significantly less opportunity than my kids have. And I wish that everybody believed that. But if everybody believed it, then that wouldn't exist as a problem. So, yeah, you go.
0: Yeah, I think that that's a good list. <laughs>
1: Let's get on to
0: the next one. And this might actually be related, but we'll go there. Um, when you think of the term master teacher, uh, what comes to mind? Is there someone who comes to mind? Uh, and, and why do you see what you see?
1: We actually have a, a, a role at school or we have a title at school called Master Teacher. Mm-hmm. You can um, go through an application process and you can provide evidence and you will be assigned the title of Master Teacher. And with that comes... Uh, a particular bump in your pace at scale as well. So again, coming back to my experience (laughs) isn't the same as everybody else is. Um, I think a master teacher is someone who's constantly seeking betterment. They're constantly seeking development. They're seeking out podcast opportunities like this. They want to go, they don't not only want to go to conferences, they want to present at conferences. Um, A master teacher is someone who's willing to take on new challenges, but then also carry others with them. Uh, I I see myself as a master teacher and I identify younger teachers who I think – who need to consider certain opportunities or, or would love to read this particular book or they get a kick out of this particular podcast. Um, so I think it's important for a master teacher to develop those around them. Uh, I think a master teacher is a great listener and a strong communicator, not only with their peers, but also with their students as well. And when it comes to um, being a master teacher and perhaps I'm stealing this from Danielson, um, but you need to be a great teacher. You need to understand your students well. You need to understand the profession and what it means to be a teacher. And you certainly need to understand your school and the community culture as well. And and I, we have many examples of master teachers walking the
0: hallways here at my school. We bet. Let's say teaching was easy. We were to boil mm-hmm. it down to its most essential. Reduce all of the things that don't contribute to good teaching. Uh, what do you think it'd look like? What, what do you think it'd be left?
1: And that's tough because I think teaching teaching comes easy to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's tough. I think uh, in an ideal world, uh, the curriculum would be personalised to as many students as possible. So we would teach students what they need to know. Um, we would we would deliver our curriculum that that serves the needs of our students and the needs of the community. And at my school, 99% of students are going to go on to a four year school and a good one at that, that might not be the same in other, in other communities. They may have a lack of people who provide certain skills and services. Um, So we certainly need to tailor our our instruction to the needs of our students, you would see um, 100% engagement and application. And, and I know that that's not possible, but because you are personalizing the learning experience, students are going to buy into it immediately. Um, I also think that the school and the faculty and the curriculum would, would look like your students as well. Um, if, you, if you teach in a diverse community, then your students would see themselves in the teachers who are delivering that material and the people in power. And, and the last thing I would say is um, this, everything you need would be fully funded. There would be quality certified teachers in every position who would be paid to be retained and, the, and struggling teachers would be fully supported to work on the deficiencies that they have.
0: Sounds like a great, (laughs) great life to me. I'm in. (laughs) I'm going to that school, right? Yeah, right. Um, Let's get into uh, the lightning round. Uh, A little bit of a quick hitter response. Uh, Do you have a favorite education related app or website?
1: As a health teacher, I always go back to the CDC, cdc.gov. Um, they put some great material out there, including their youth, National Youth Risk Behavior Survey. Um, and then they have associated information that goes with that. So if you're looking for somewhere to start as a health teacher, go straight to the CDC.
0: Do you have a favorite book that you quote or refer to or gift often? Uh, the one that is on my
1: desk at all times right now comes from uh, Sarah Bennis and Holly Alperin. They are big in the uh, health ed community and their second book, Lesson Planning for Skills-Based Health Ed takes the theory of skills-based health education, but they've gone out to teachers in the field who are doing great things, and they've taken the best of their ideas. So if you're looking to start to implement the concept of skills-based health, you should go straight to that book. And then when it comes to a book that I gift, um, I was fortunate enough to interview Taylor Marley, the poet He's the slam poet from you know, the 90s or so, and I bought six copies of his book, What Teachers Make. It's a great poem that he wrote. I had them signed, and I've gifted them away to future professionals and teachers in their first year of teaching, and I've just given away my sixth copy. I need to get a few more copies. It would just inspire students uh, and uh, new teachers that it's not about the salary. It's all about the changes that we make in students' lives.
0: What's something that you do every day or most days that keeps you well or healthy? Um, without fail, I
1: find time for breakfast. Mm. I, Irrespective of what time I have to be somewhere, I will get up an hour before that and I will sit down. I'll have breakfast in silence and that's the chance for me to be with my thoughts, plan my day. Uh, but as far as I'm concerned, breakfast is the most important meal of the day.
0: Do you have an organization or a person that's particularly inspiring you right now? I am going
1: to say, considering the global climate, uh, anybody who is currently speaking up against injustice inspires me. Um, I think I, I talk the talk. And sometimes I need to walk the walk, or the other way around. I, I I see people really doing the work on the ground level, and I'll nod and say yes, and I'll retweet and I'll like and I'll share their their work. But anybody who's actually there, putting their themselves on the ground and standing up against injustice, I have nothing but a hundred percent. You know, I, I love those guys.
0: Yeah. So, what's next for you? What uh, What are some of the questions, problems, projects that you're working on, or that you we can look forward to seeing from you? You mentioned earlier that I
1: I, I was awarded Teacher of the Year, and I, and I have this horrible feeling that. 22 years into my career so i'm probably about halfway there i had this horrible feeling that i've peaked (laughs) you know you know i i moved to america with pretty much nothing i had everything i owned was in 22 boxes and then i worked my way up and i was acknowledged as as the the teacher of the year and that was that that made everything that made everything worthwhile all this all the all the struggles and all the challenges that i faced and you know and, and so it was good now I just want to continue making myself a better teacher. My focus this year, because I focus so much on health education, I want to go back to my my physical education roots. I really want to nail down my assessment and my delivery of material and make sure that my my lessons are as inclusive as possible and that students can see the, the real value in being physically active. I want my students this year to feel competent. I want them to be confident. I want them to go out and seek movement opportunity as a result of having success in my classroom.
0: I think that that's really inspiring. That even the teacher of the year is saying, "No, I still have work to do. I'm going back in. I'm making sure that my assessment is queued up. Yeah. I'm making sure that I'm engaging." That that's awesome. Yeah.
1: Thank so, you.
0: how are some? What are some ways that people can connect with you? And I know you've got a couple different things on the go, so this might be a, a lengthy thing. How are some different ways the uh, projects that you're working on, or maybe even yourself?
1: Okay, well, track me down on Twitter. I tweet as Carmel Health, which does confuse people, but Carmel High School gave me my first break in America, and I think I owe it to them to not change my name. So I I tweet as Carmel Health, and mostly I'll tweet about health, education, uh, teaching, pedagogy, and some social justice in there as well. Um, So definitely follow me. Um, I have a blog called slowchatshealth.com, and Slow Chat Health, the whole premise is there's a blog post once a week, and then we'll drip feed a daily question, and we keep that conversation going um, of all things pertaining to health education. Uh, It's not supposed to be my voice. Often it is, but I have guest bloggers, and I'll happily listen to anybody that wants to blog about a health-related topic or just share an idea that you or your students have come up with that you think would be of value. value. It's a global um, site now, and it's being accessed by – thousands of teachers per month so it really is turning into a growing project that also allows me to be a little bit more creative and then finally um i the more i travel to conferences the more i realize that uh, not everybody is able to go and get professional development so i set up a a, a website called sendateacher.com and sendateacher.com shares health and physical education uh designed merchandise and 100% of the profits go towards sending teachers to our national convention who wouldn't be able to go because there's no funding. We sent two Boston public school teachers to our conference in Boston. We did the same for two Nashville public school teachers. We also raised money for a school that was just wiped out um, after one of the hurricanes in uh, Houston. And um, we've also contributed to people's GoFundMe sites. So if, if you are looking for some really cool merchandise and you want to look good and help people at the same time, go to sendateacher.com.
0: That sounds great. Thanks so much for joining us, Andrew. I really, really liked our conversation. Um, nothing but the best in the coming year and we'll, uh, we'll check in soon. How about
1: Corey, I appreciate this conversation and the opportunity. Have a great school year yourself. Thank you, sir.
0: That's it for our conversation with Andrew Milne. If you liked what you're hearing, please connect with us on Twitter or on our website, intersectioneducation.com. We'll see you next time.